Hey guys, it's Dan, the Director of Communications here at the church. I just want to thank you for joining us online or in person today. Are you in grade 6 to 12 and looking for an extreme youth event? Well, you got it. Sign up for the Flying Squirrel Friday, November 20th from 7 to 9 p.m. for some high-flying action. There will be trampoline dodgeball, trampoline basketball, and all-around trampoline fun and games. So if you've been able to squirrel away 25 extra dollars, fly in on Wednesday night and get it to your youth leader. See what I did there? The mission of the market is to love others as God has first loved us by blessing individuals and families both inside and outside of our church with complimentary groceries and household goods. Our market is open Sundays from 1.30 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. and Mondays 10 a.m. to noon. We served 78 families during the month of October including nine new families. As you can imagine, that's a lot of food and the market is in need of donations. They can be dropped off during the week or brought in on Sunday morning. The easiest way to find out what they need is to join our Facebook page, The Market, to keep up to date on the most needed items. The list there is updated every week. If you've been around for any length of time, you know that periodically we take up a benevolence offering. Any funds that are collected are used to help those in need both within our church and outside of our church. Well, we have some changes to our benevolence offering. Your donations to this fund are now receivable, which is fantastic come tax time. These donations will now be included in your annual donation receipt for tax deductions. Another change, check it out. Any cash or check donation can be placed in this special benevolence offering envelope. We now have the ability to accept benevolence fund e-transfers as well. If this is more up your alley, send your e-transfer to benevolence at rbclondon.ca. Now this next part is really important. When you send that e-transfer, use the password, let's help. Our Benevolence Fund will only be accepting donations until November 14th, so please don't send to e-transfers after that time. Anything received after the 14th will go to the general fund. Now, here's something I don't need the prompter for. Due to the health unit strongly discouraging congregational singing, we would ask those here in our worship center that during our worship times, please listen to the words, hum along, or sing softly to respect those around you in light of the whole COVID situation. Thanks guys, and God bless. Church, it's good to see you both here in person and online. We are here to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. So let's stand together. Let's be strengthened together as we worship him this morning.
Amen. Let's hear the word of the Lord from Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Now 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you that your mercy, your grace is greater than our sin. Though your wrath is kindled in a moment, Lord, your love and your forgiveness are offered freely. Thank you for this promise, Lord. Praise you in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Redemption. I'm thankful to be here today with you. Uh, for our services. Last weekend, I had to step out of my preaching responsibilities very last minute due to a medical situation. I'm thankful for our elders and our staff who adjusted things on the fly, and I believe it was God's will that we heard from God's word from Robbie Simons last weekend from Acts 5, so we're trusting the Lord with that. Just a brief update, as many of you have been asking, back in mid-September, I saw a new doctor for some specialist things, and he changed my blood pressure medication, and in that change, he brought it way down, and over about four to five weeks, my blood pressure started going up, and it really peaked last weekend, and I was not feeling well. Um, It got to dangerous levels on Sunday morning, so I thought, well, I'll come in and preach both services and then go to the emergency room and get it looked at and figure that out. Uh, Just in the elder prayer time before the service, as I was just sitting down with our elders, I realized I'm a little dull and a little slow and a little stubborn, and the way I felt and the level it was at was not wise, and so uh, I had to the emergency room. So they've adjusted my medication, and as of midweek this week, I'm back to feeling as great as I do for a guy my age, and very thankful for that. Thank you. And they also checked out my heart, and you'll be happy to know I do have one. And it seems to be fine, and so I'm thankful to the Lord for that. Thank you to all of you for your cares and your prayer, prayers for me and for Cindy and for our family. And in God's timing, God is always aware of all these things, even though we aren't. He already had Stephen scheduled to preach this weekend and the next two. I think this was scheduled back early summer or even the spring when we scheduled this. And uh, originally I was going to go, we are going to go away for two weeks vacation the next two weeks, but thank the COVID, uh, we're not going on vacation, but I'm going to take the two weeks off for some R&R, and I'm very thankful for Stephen, and I've been praying for him, I love his preaching, and just looking forward to what God will do through these next weekends as we continue in the book of Matthew. Also just want to let you know about a new uh, shepherding ministry we've started here at the church. 
and is really rolling out this week. I'm excited about it. We've been desiring and praying about how to get more relational in our shepherding and our discipleship as a church. And uh, we've been committed to that and trying to figure that out. It's difficult with a congregation as large as ours that before COVID numbered around somewhere around 1,200 people. And so it's difficult to kind of shepherd everybody in a way that's relational. And so what we've done is we've sort of solicited um, about 27 shepherding couples or uh, singles, and uh, this would include our elders and our ministry staff, as well as some other uh, mature couples in the church who have a loving heart for others and have uh, offered to have some of their time allocated to this. And so we're excited about this. We've split the entire congregation into the 27 groups. That's about 25 couples or singles in each group. And we're going, hoping that through sort of some more personal connection, we can shepherd better our the congregation God has entrusted to us. So this week, you should get an email uh, letting you know who your shepherding couple or person is. And the goal is that over sort of as the months and quarters and, and then even the years roll on, there would be a more regular connection with you. Uh, they would be praying for you regularly. A lot of their connection may be by email, but we're hoping um, perhaps each quarter there could be some in-person phone call or uh, personal face-to-face connection as well. And so uh, you will get that information and let you know who your shepherding couple is or the individual if you're a single. And so we're excited about that. If you don't get an email this week and you'd like to be a part of this, please email or call our office and let us know. Some of you don't fill out the register or some of you don't come that regularly or some of you are new. And so if that's you and you don't get an email, please contact us. We'd love to have you be a part of this new ministry. Let me pray now and then we'll continue in our musical worship. Lord Jesus, we humble ourselves before you now. We're thankful to you, our Father, for loving us and sending your Son. We're thankful, Jesus, for you walking in obedience, for your great sacrifice, for our sin and our salvation. We're thankful to you, Spirit, for your convicting work, your illuminating work, your comforting work, your sealing presence in us. Lord, we are overwhelmed with who you are, with you yourself. We love you. We love you, Jesus. We're thankful for the work you have done. We're excited as we're working through this book of Matthew as a church to see and hear and learn more about you, Jesus. More of you, less of us is our prayer. To be taught and reminded of your grace and truth. We acknowledge this time as we gather that we have a great hope in this life and in the next because you have risen from the dead Because of your life for 33 years in perfect obedience, because of your death, your resurrection, your ascension, you have overcome for us our sin. You defeated the enemy of death as well as Satan and the world that opposes you and us. And so today we gather with great confidence in your love. We're united with you, Jesus, one in you, one in Christ. We need not fear anything nor anyone We're not shaken by illness, by opposition, by the world, by a virus, by any authorities who may come against your work and your mission, not by death itself. We do want to pause and pray on this weekend for the country to the south of us, United States, with such a crucial election happening this week. We pray that your perfect will would be done. We pray for peace, for safety, for unity. We're thankful that we never have to live in fear, fear of our sin being held against us or fear of anything else in this world, for you are sovereign. 
You care for your children. You're our risen Savior, our Creator God. Jesus, you're our Redeemer, our Lord. We love you. We thank you this day. We thank you for this time in worship. We thank you for the time in your word. We thank you for your presence here. We just pray you're glorified by all that happens this day in this service. And we ask this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand together. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah. I Ah! 
Father, we trust you. We believe every word that we have just sung. You are a hope in life and death, and we look forward to a glorious future. Father, we love you. We're strengthened as we sing your truth. So powerful to be reminded of this. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church may be seated. Good morning. It is great to be back with you. Every time I come, I am amazed because there seem to be different musicians up here. Steve remains constant, but um, it certainly speaks to the deep well of musical talent that you enjoy here at Redemption. It is certainly cause for thanksgiving, cause for rejoicing. I invite you to continue to worship with me now and take God's word and turn to Matthew chapter 3. We have the privilege of celebrating communion later. And even now, I would invite you to prepare your hearts for that. We have the Word made audible through its proclamation, through its preaching. And shortly, we will have the Word made visible as we partake of the bread, as we partake of the cup together. And in both, the Word audible, the Word visible, we have the Lord Jesus Christ put on display for us. So we're going to worship now, continue to worship, and the focus of our worship is going to be Matthew chapter 3. This past week, I was flipping through some newspaper articles. It might have been the star, I can't remember, but one article in particular uh, grabbed my attention, and it opened with these words, psychologists have worried about the mental health toll of tightened restrictions for months. Add in the shorter days and colder weather of the approaching season, and we could be in for what one expert called a long, dark winter. How are you going to survive a long, dark winter? The article goes on to suggest regular exercise. I'm all for that. It recommends a set schedule, recommends a healthy diet, this, that, and the next thing, all good. I have no problem for it, but we are barely touching the surface. How are we going to make it through a long, dark winter? What the old theologians used to call a dark night of the soul. Because as Christians, we're not immune from it. As Christians, we live in a fallen world, 
and we are assailed by troubles of one kind or another. And maybe you are already thinking of this winter is coming, that is coming. Maybe you're already thinking of the social restrictions and you are fed up. Maybe you're already feeling it up to here and come the middle of January. Yeah, where are we all going to be? And in what kind of frame of mind will we find ourselves? How are we going to make it through a long, dark winter? For that matter, how are we going to make it through a dark night of the soul? The Bible makes it clear. We are to look to Jesus. We are to fix our eyes upon Jesus. And that is my goal with you today, Lord willing, next Lord's Day and the Sunday after that. Three Sundays to make our way through Matthew chapters 3 and 4. And as we do so, I want us to fix our gaze upon Jesus. There's a beautiful line from an old hymn. It goes as follows. There is a name I love to hear. I love to speak its worth. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. That's my goal. My goal is at the end of our worship today, three Sundays from now, a month from now, middle of January, middle of February, what in the midst of whatever we're going through, we are able to echo the words of that hymn. There is a name I love to hear. I love to speak its worth. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. So we are looking to Jesus. And today then we begin with Matthew chapter 3. Follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. In those days John the Baptist came. Check that. Take careful note of that word. Came. In those days John the Baptist came. Preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Our minds are supposed to immediately go to the last book of the Old Testament. The book of Malachi, chapter 4, into verse 3. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so Matthew has in view Isaiah, chapter 40, into verse 4. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Our minds are supposed to go immediately back to 2 Kings chapter 1 and this individual known as Elijah. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, it seems incidental to the narrative. If you've been raised in the church, you're familiar with these groups, these designations, Pharisees, Sadducees, throw in the scribes. And at times they seem somewhat incidental to the narrative. But Matthew is introducing them here in the third chapter early on. He's going to come back to them in chapter 5. Chapter 9, chapter 12, 15, 16, 21, 22. 
and he's going to dedicate all of chapter 23 to the Pharisees and Sadducees. They are significant. They provide the backdrop to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. They come to John for baptism. He said to them, not very PC, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came. And so back to verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, scene 1, verse 1, right through to verse 12, verse 13. Then Jesus came, scene 2, beginning in verse 13, right through to the end of the chapter. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And so again, our goal is to fix our eyes upon Jesus. To do that based on this chapter, we need to hear three voices. There are three voices in this narrative, these two scenes. The first, we need to hear what John says. Look back, chapter 3, verse 1. It opens in those days. John the Baptist came, and he is, he is preaching. He's engaged in proclamation, and his message is summed up there in the second verse. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's an Old Testament context. It takes us back to the book of Malachi. It takes us back to the book of Isaiah. It takes us back to that prophet of old, centuries before Elijah. And it builds this bridge, if you like, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you think of the Old Testament, think in terms of preparation and anticipation, expectation that God has promised that he will come. The promised seed of the woman, the promised seed of Abraham, the promised seed of David, God is coming. But prior to his coming, 
He will send a messenger to prepare the way for him. And so Matthew writing to a Jewish, predominantly Jewish audience, is building this bridge. He wants them to see this connection between the old and the new. The old anticipation, preparation, expectation, the new, the age of fulfillment has dawned. And so John comes, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The response into verse 5, many from Jerusalem and all Judea and the region around the Jordan River, they go out to John and they're baptized by him in the river, confessing their sins. But now in marked contrast, we are introduced to this group named Pharisees and Sadducees who think to themselves, well, we're the religious elite. We're the leaders of these sheep, this people, where there, there go those people. Well, we need to get out front of this. And so they too go out to the river and they too come to John for baptism and look at John's shocking response in the middle of verse 7. Talk about not making friends. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume. Oh, the danger of presumption. The danger, the peril of presumption. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we're good. It's all good here. We're Jews. We have Abraham as our father. Right? We have the Old Testament covenants. We have the law. We have the sacrificial system. We have the temple. We're not like the Gentiles, those heathens, those pagans. We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, says John, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid. Judgment is coming to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Oh, we need to hear what John is saying. John is making it clear that the king is coming. And in light of the king's advent, here is the only worthy, sensible response. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, out they go. But you see, they have a fundamental problem. They have a fundamental blind spot, and it is this. They do not understand who they are, what they are, before a holy God. The Lord Jesus is going to confront them with, with this re reality later in chapter 15. He's going to tell them, out of the heart. Oh, hear this, please. Out of the heart. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, and these are what defile a person. You see, for the Pharisees, their religion, it's all external. It's all about their ethnic identity. It's all about their upbringing. It's all about the religious observance, the religious ceremony, all external. They don't for one moment think they need a Savior. Because they do not understand in the slightest their true predicament before a holy God. They do not understand the state and the condition of their own hearts. 
and the grip that sin has on them and just how polluted the fountain is. Oh, there was a crime commission, I think it was in Minnesota, issued this, these findings. This is years ago now. They wouldn't get away with publishing this today. But they stated the following. This is back in the 70s. For those of you who can recall the 70s, every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toy, his uncle's watch. And deny him these wants and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. Most of us, not all of us, most of us learn to control that, at least externally, but we never rectify it because there is a deep-rooted problem in each and every one of us. And this is what John is saying. This is what John is making painfully clear. Oh, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want us to see, based on what John says, I want us to see that there is a problem. There is a problem. These verses and John's preaching, they are a warning sign for us. There's a place called Lindisfarne. It's in Northumbria, northeast England, I believe. I visited it as a boy. And perhaps some of you have been there or you've heard of it. Lindisfarne is a, uh, it's a tidal island. A tidal island, meaning what? It's only an island for half the day when the tide is in. And then the other half of the day, the tide goes out. But don't think of our experience of the tide here on the East Coast and the West Coast. You get up there in England and Scotland, I mean, the tide will go out miles rapidly. And then it will come rushing back in at certain parts of the day. And so there's a place called Lindisfarne, with a, I think it's an abbey out there on the rock, and it's a real tourist attraction. And when the tide is out, you can drive your car across the causeway. Well, as you enter the causeway, there is this huge sign, warning sign for all to see. And it clearly states, look to the right. And if you can see water, don't go. Stop right there. Look to the right, and if you can see water in the distance coming, don't try to get across the causeway. But you know as well as I do what happens every year. There's that fella sitting in the driving seat. Hang on, honey. We can do this. We can make it. And he guns it, and across he goes. And it happens four, five, six times every year. Halfway across, the tide comes screaming back in, and that little car is swept off the road into the, into the water. We ignore warning signs to our peril. And I want us to understand it. What John is saying is a warning sign. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The greatest danger, I heard a preacher say this once, the greatest danger we face is to be ignorant of our spiritual condition. Let me repeat it for you. The greatest danger we face is to be ignorant of our spiritual condition. To be ignorant of the fact that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. 
to be ignorant of the fact that it is the heart, because of the heart and self-love, this governing principle of self-love, that all that we do, we say, we think, is corrupted in the sight of God. And therefore, when it comes to our approach to God and making ready for the coming of the Lord, there is only one sensible, one worthy posture, response, and it is this. It is to repent. To repent is to turn. It is to turn from the direction we are going and to head in the opposite direction. It is to change the course we are on. Please understand this. Repentance is not remorse. Repentance is not regret. I dare say that Esau regretted but Esau never repented. Saul regretted his actions, his choices, his life, but the man never repented. Ahab regretted the course he was going down and the mess he was making of his life and of his kingdom, but the man never repented. Judas regretted Having sold the Lord Jesus Christ for silver, the man went out and hung himself. Oh, how sore he was. No, my friend, it was regret. It was remorse. But it was not repentance. We dare not miss this. This is the warning sign. To repent is to turn. I engage with people, um, not, not of late, but certainly when I was in pastoral ministry, I would engage with people on occasion and there would be that individual in my office and maybe meeting with us as elders and they would be going through tissue after tissue, I mean tissue, boxes of tissues and all sorts of tears and regret and remorse over what? The mess they'd made of their lives. Please understand this, regretting the mess is not the same thing as repenting of sin. We've only repented of something when we're prepared to turn from it. We've only repented from something when we're prepared to own up, assume responsibility, and turn away and change the course we're going down. Oh, lots of us, re- lots of us regret the mess we've made. Lots of us regret the consequences of our sins. Lots of us regret the problems that it brings in life. Lots of us wish we could turn back the clock and change this, do that differently. And lots of us just want the mess to go away. We want the problems to be resolved. We want the consequences to be dealt with. That's, that, that's fine, and it has a place. But friends, that is not repentance. Repentance is to acknowledge I'm responsible for this. This is who I am. This is what I have done. I'm now changing and I'm turning around and I'm going in an opposite direction. Repent. Oh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Far too many people today are in the grip of what's known as the feel-good doctrine of automatic forgiveness. The gospel that promises forgiveness without requiring any change. This is the warning sign. And we must hear what John says. We must hear what the Lord Jesus says because he's going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, and he too is going to preach what? Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We must hear what John says. Secondly, there's a second voice in this text. We need to hear what Jesus says. And so now we jump into the second scene. It begins in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. I mean, this is fascinating. Look, pick it up now, verse 14. John would have prevented him. You can imagine how repulsive this must have been to him. John knows he himself is a sinner. John knows that the Lord Jesus is his Savior. Later, he's going to proclaim, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But now here is Jesus actually coming to him. I need to be baptized. John's response, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Verse 15, Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What is going on here? Jesus is embarking on his public ministry. And as he embarks on that ministry, the very first thing he does is enter into the waters of baptism. The waters of baptism accompanied by that posture of heart, repentance, because the kingdom of heaven is coming. It is at hand. And in so doing, what is the Lord Jesus doing? He is fulfilling all righteousness. He is proclaiming that his public ministry he is acting as a public individual. And he is identifying, therefore, with whom? With his people. He is identifying with sinners. He is identifying to the, with those who confess and repent of their sin. And he is declaring, look, I identify with you. And all that I am about to do is for you. The life I have been living and the life I am going to live in the face of unbelievable opposition, I do so having identified with my people and the death I'm going to die upon Calvary's cross and the resurrection and the glorification that I'm going to enjoy. I want you to understand that this is all done as a public individual on behalf of my people whereby I will fulfill all righteousness. And really understand this, that as I enter into these waters of baptism, they point to a far more significant baptism that I'm going to undergo. And it is passing through the waters of God's judgment upon Calvary's cross. And no, it won't be for my sin. No, it won't be for anything I've ever done. He is the spotless, perfect, unblemished Lamb of God. He is simply proclaiming, not simply, profoundly proclaiming, I am acting for my people, and I am identifying publicly with my people. So then when the time comes and the Spirit is given, Oh, they will understand that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that salvation comes not in that pharisaical mindset on the basis of what we do or who we think we are or how much merit we think we've obtained. But no, we will understand that salvation is rooted and fixed and founded in Christ alone who has fulfilled the law, fulfilled all righteousness. He has lived the life I could never live. 
And praise God, he's died the death which I was supposed to die. And he's paid in full the penalty for my sin. Oh, we need to hear this just as we hear the voice of John and we recognize that there is a problem. We hear the voice of the Lord Jesus, do we not? And praise God, we recognize and we celebrate that there is a solution. Yesterday was, of course, what? Don't you dare say Halloween. It's Reformation Day, folks. October 31st, 503 years ago. October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses to the chapel door in the city of Wittenberg, igniting a wildfire known as the Reformation. He didn't really start it. John Wycliffe comes before Martin Luther. John Huss, Johannin Huss in Bohemia. was that Czech Republic somewhere down there? He was well before Luther. But certainly there's something about Luther that really then was that final spark that ignited the flames of the Reformation. And Luther, he was a monk. I mean, he was the religious of the religious. And he joined an Augustinian order. And he was a, a monk and lived a devout life. He made a pilgrimage to Rome. And he scaled the Scala Santa, the 28 stairs on his knees, reciting a pattern noster on every stair. Uh, Wittenberg had the biggest collection of relics in Europe. And he would visit these relics and kiss these relics and believe that somehow this trans... I deferred holiness or merit or grace to him. And Luther, he was so troubled by this word righteousness and just exasperated at the recommendation of a friend as he began to study Paul's epistle to the Romans, just exasperated when he came to Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and he read, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. For in it, in the gospel, in the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. And Luther's conclusion was, that's absurd. Absolutely absurd. How can the righteousness of God be good news? The righteousness of God isn't good news. The righteousness of God damns me. I know who I am. I know what I am. I'm not righteous in the sight of God. So I, I, I know that in and of myself, I am riddled with sin. So how can the righteousness of God be the good news of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. And the penny dropped. There's an understatement if ever I've made one. The penny dropped. The light went on. And Luther understood for the first time in his life what? The justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He understood that Christ has fulfilled all righteousness. And that's why the gospel is good news, because it reveals the righteousness of God. And it tells me, it tells me it doesn't depend on me. It tells me that it doesn't rest on my merit or my effort. It tells me that the Lord Jesus has fulfilled all righteousness. It tells me that the Lord Jesus lived a perfect life under the law and loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it tells me that the Lord Jesus fulfilled the penalty for the law, having given himself, becoming a curse for me upon Calvary's cross. And it tells me I must simply receive. No merit in believing. No efficacy in believing. 
Faith is simply the arm outstretched to receive the Lord Jesus. And when we receive the Lord Jesus through faith, we become one with him. Luther wrote, Oh, whoever believes in Christ has become one with him. The Christian's sins are no longer his. They are Christ's. Christ's righteousness now belongs not only to Christ, it belongs to the Christian. Oh, we need to hear what Jesus says because it is the only solution. It is the only remedy. This past week, I was sitting on the couch with my wife, Allison, and I glanced over and she was reading this biography of um, Julie Andrews, name probably familiar to many of you. And immediately I thought, oh, Julie Andrews, sound of music, right? And then mine goes back, growing up, back in the 70s, 80s, Christmas Day, CFDO Channel 9, every Christmas Day afternoon, what did they show? Sound of music. Some of you remember this, some of you are staring at me, what's he talking about? Just bear with me. And uh, my sisters, they were huge fans, so I would sit there and bear it. I actually kind of like it. We'd watch the sound of music. And there is this scene which is so telling. It just epitomizes mankind. There is a scene after, uh, after Julie Andrews, what is her name, Maria, and the, and the captain, they pledge their love for one another. And Julie Andrews is dancing around in the gazebo or greenhouse or whatever it is. And she utters these words as she's singing. Somewhere, somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Why? To merit the joy, the relationship that he is, she has just found. That is how most people go through life. Absolutely convinced, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees of old, that somewhere, something in me, I've done who I am, there is something good. Something pleasurable in the sight of God. Something that makes God look my way. Something I can do. Something I can perform in order to merit God's favor, God's salvation in Christ. Oh, he makes it so clear. No, he alone fulfills all righteousness. And to be a Christian, it is to turn to the Lord Jesus. To be a Christian, it is to receive the Lord Jesus. To be a Christian, it is to believe in the Lord Jesus and becoming one with him through faith. Our sins become his, and he has paid the penalty for them in full upon Calvary's cross. And his righteousness becomes ours. And it is that righteousness upon which we now stand in the sight of God. We need to hear what Jesus says. The third voice takes us into verse 16. We need to hear what the Father says. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Okay, pause there. So we have the Lord Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God incarnate. There he is. Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water what happens? Behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit 
Now we're introduced to the Spirit of God. We have the Son of God. We have Jesus emerging from the waters. We now have the Spirit of God descending from the heavens like a dove, probably intended to point us back to Noah, right, and the dove. And this idea of a new creation, that with the advent of the Lord Jesus, we're dawning on a new creation, the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Him. Now we're introduced to a third person, 17th verse, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so we clearly have three distinct persons. We have the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We have the Spirit of God descending in this sort of tangible form like a dove. And then audibly we hear the voice of the Father. So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have one God, but one God. We have but one essence, one being. The great I am who is over all, through all, and in all. But this text makes clear for us that in this one God, in this God who is the great I am, who is one indivisible essence, there are three persons. There are three relations. There is firstly the Father. There is the Son, there is the Spirit. They share one life, they share one power, they share one knowledge, they share one will. They are one, and yet eternally three. It's the great mystery of the Christian faith. But what is so, what is so precious about this wonderful truth is this. It is the Father declaring concerning the Son, Jesus Christ, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Well, this is an eternal reality. In Christ's high priestly prayer in John 17, towards the end, he's going to celebrate, he's going to thank the Father for that love with which he loved him before the foundation of the world. Three eternal persons, one God, three relations of mutual love and delight and communion and here the Father proclaims it, confirms it. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And to manifest that love, what does He do? He sends the Holy Spirit upon Him. Now we need to hear this. Yes, we needed to hear what John says because there is a problem. And yes, we definitely need to hear what Jesus says because there is a solution. And we need to hear what the Father says because, friends, there is a reward. Oh, there is a great, indescribable, unimaginable reward. That when we come to the Lord Jesus through faith, we become one with Him. Becoming one with Him, we have access to the Father. And the Father has declared His love for us in sending His Son, in offering His Son upon Calvary's cross for our sins. And He has declared and confirmed His love for us by lavishing that same Spirit 
upon us. That's why John says back in verse 11, Look, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In Christ Jesus, we become the Father's beloved. Having been knit together with Christ through faith, Christ baptizes us with His Spirit, in His Spirit, into the body of Christ. And now as members of the body of Christ, we have free access to the Father. And when the Father looks upon us, He gazes upon His Son, Jesus Christ, with whom we are one. And He declares, Behold, my beloved sons, with whom I am well pleased. I get a longing at certain times. I know it's coming at Christmas time. It happens in front of a roaring fire around Christmas time. It happens on a cool autumn afternoon as the sun nears the end of its descent. It occurs when I see gray skies and barren hills. Or I hear certain strains of music, or I smell freshly cut grass on a warm summer evening. It begins to stir as I drive past my childhood home, or I recall childhood friends. You know what I'm describing, don't you? But it's exceedingly difficult to put into words. C.S. Lewis refers to it as lifelong nostalgia. These constant, these constant reminders that all is not as it should be. These constant reminders that there is something more. Constant reminders that we were made for something greater. We're designed for something greater that this world cannot satisfy. And we have been wandering east of Eden Ever since the fall, wandering from our Creator, wandering from this triune God, wandering from this divine love. But in Christ Jesus, back we're brought. And now we enjoy this fellowship with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. And the Father confirms His love for us by offering up Christ for us. And he confirms and declares this love by pouring out his spirit upon us. Oh, and our wandering hearts return home. And there we find meaning. There we find satisfaction. There we find delight in the presence of our God. I went down this road. I think I, I don't know how it went over. I went down this road in, in my class on Tuesday with uh, some of the college students in Christian theology. I said, hey, you guys remember Chariots of Fire? I got a bunch of blank stares, a bunch of 20, 19, 20-year-olds. 20 I think maybe five of them put their hands up out of a group of 40. Remember Chariots of Fire? Chariots of Fire tells that story of two English athletes, 1924 Paris Olympics. And there's just a study of contrasts. The first is a man by the name of Harold Abrams. And they, both athletes, they run the 100-meter dash, right? And Harold Abrams, when he's asked, why do you run? Why do you run? Why do you do it? His answer is this, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. That's how he views life. 
I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. Life has no meaning. And I'm desperately searching for meaning. I'm desperately searching for fulfillment. I'm def- desperately trying to infuse, you know, inject some kind of purpose in this life. I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. And that is why when Harold Abram wins, it never satisfies him. And when he loses, he is absolutely crushed. He's got nowhere to turn. Eric Little, he's asked, why do you run? God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. It's a Christian who knows the triune God, who knows what it is to have his sins forgiven, who knows this great reward whereby he has become a beloved son, not because of anything in him, not because of any merit of his own, but because he is now knit together by faith, by the Spirit, with the beloved son, Jesus Christ. And God has made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Oh, to be able to go through life like that as a Christian, Whatever comes, good or bad, whatever successes, whatever failures, to know that we have returned home. We have returned home to our maker. That we are in fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Oh, this is our reward. I'm not sure we appreciate it as we ought. At times, our sense of amazement kind of wanes, doesn't it? In the classic Charlotte's Web, Mrs. Arable asks Dr. Dorian, do you understand how there could be any writing in a spider's web? Oh, no, said Dr. Dorian. I don't understand it. But for that matter, I don't understand how a spider learned to spin a web in the first place. When the words appeared, everyone said they were a miracle. But nobody pointed out that the web itself is a miracle. We quickly lose our sense of amazement, of awe, and of wonder. Oh, this text helps us recapture it, does it not? If we hear what John says, we've got a problem, a huge problem. If we hear what Jesus says, there's a beautiful problem wonderful solution, remedy. And if we hear what the Father says, oh, we are the beneficiaries of a great reward. Where did we begin? Let me end there and pray that these words truly resonate with our hearts this day. There is a name I love to hear. I love to speak its worth. It sounds like music in my ear the sweetest name on earth. Our Heavenly Father, lift our eyes heavenward this day we ask it and fix our gaze upon Christ who is most delightful in every way. He is indeed our surety. He is our mediator and intercessor. He is our advocate. And in Him and through Him and because of Him we find Uh, every need fulfilled in you. Give us understanding, we pray, our Father. Encourage our hearts, we ask it as well, in your word and in your truth. And we pray it for the furtherance of your kingdom among us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, Stephen. That has truly touched my heart this morning. As we continue to prepare ourselves for communion, I would like to read for you John 3, 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Communion is a profound memorial and conveys a sanctifying grace that strengthens us as believers when we reflect upon the physical suffering and spilt blood of the Son of God. We are called to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, and then we will one day partake with Jesus at his banqueting table. It is also important for us to pause and take stock or self-examine our motive and focus in participating in communion. Our attention is to be about Christ and his work on the cross and this alone, not about ourselves or our pride. When we partake in communion, we are proclaiming our identification with Christ and his death as he paid our price for our sin by dying our death. Let me refer to Galatians 2.20 that says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. These are the very points that the Apostle Paul was conveying in a corrective manner to the church in Corinth. So reading in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 29, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. 
For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So let's take a moment and pause to examine ourselves before the Lord. Then I will pray for the elements. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful today for how you have brought your word to life to us this morning. Thank you for Matthew chapter 3. Thank you for uh, this beautiful picture of seeing God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit being revealed before his people. Thank you for the ministry that Christ had as he walked this earth. Thank you for his ultimate sacrifice. Thank you that our Lord Jesus was so willing to suffer physically. His body was broken on our behalf and his blood was spilt in order that he would pay our price. He would die our death and that by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ and the work in which he did, we then can be given the very righteousness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you for your church. Thank you for how you are the head of the body of the church. And now as we take this time, as we reflect and as we remember, would you grip us by your greatness? Amen. If you would now peel back the cellophane to reveal the wafer... Let us take it. And now if you could peel back the other layer, we will drink the cup. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done and continue to do in your church. And in our lives, as we humble ourselves before you and each other, in order that we might bring you glory and honor and praise. Amen. stand together.
Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not the sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, his mercy is more. will wait as we constantly roam what father so tender is calling us home he welcomes the weakest the vilest the poor our sins they are many his mercy is more praise the lord his mercy is more for your grace and for your mercy. Father, we've met with you. We've been strengthened by you and your presence in the preaching of your word. Now, Father, help us be the church to a city, to family, to co-workers. Help us be the church. Help us be 
just like your son, to a world that desperately needs you. And in his name, we pray these things. Amen. Church, it's been good to be together. We'll see you next weekend.